0: The vibes were great. He's a good teammate, he wants to learn. He's willing to help us continue to learn and share some of the knowledge that he's gained over the the course of his not only NBA career, but basketball career in general. But it was just cool to play alongside him, having watched him, you know, basically all my life. I think the quality of basketball is, is better when teams don't have to play back to backs and you just naturally sluggish. The thing people don't realize is that it's a full day of activities and working, like you said before, it's strenuous on the body. And you have to try to mentally be sharp. So there's just real no real way around it. You're gonna be mentally and physically tired, it's just about pushing through it. The real fans respect and understand the impact he's had on the game, and that means a lot to him because he is a Hall of Famer, one of the, the greatest players of all time, and he did it his way dunking making passes out the post going to work one-on-one on the elbow and you're right he doesn't get the credit he deserves Welcome to the Randy Moss episode of Pull Up. That's right, episode number 84. A legendary episode because we have a new legend joining our team, which we will get to shortly. I'm currently recording in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, home of the cheese. Home of the Green Bay Packers. Home of the cold weather. And I'm not sure what else, but I guess I'll find out um, in the next few hours as I explore Milwaukee. Um, the season has... Almost wrapped up its first month, uh, a few days away from the first month of the season being in the books, and a lot has happened. There's been a lot of injuries, there's been a lot of players in and out of rotations, there's been acquisitions, there's been star players rising out of nowhere, and there's been a lot of controversy about back-to-backs, which we'll get into in a little bit, but one thing's been consistent and constant since since we got on the phone uh, before we started recording, Jordan has complained about his schedule, his lack of ability to manage his unimaginable text messages, and has requested an assistant. So if you're listening to the Pull Up Pod right now, you may have a chance to potentially work for Mr. Schultz. Mr. Schultz, what are you going through right now? Um, it can't be more than what Miles Garrett is going through, obviously, but you're going through something.
1: It's it's not Miles, but I will say, and I appreciate the shout out of a potential assistance. Um, I, I am in dire straits at this point. I don't, I don't know how to handle the, the. it's not, it's not the workload per se, CJ, but it's the, it's the text, the emails, um, expense reports. I, it really makes me sympathize more for, for your schedule because like at some point you saw, I sent you my emails. It's 130,000 emails. Now it's impossible to go through all of those. And you said that, your biggest thing in terms of text is probably group chats. So how how many group chats are you in? And, and what, what's the volume we're talking here, like 100
0: texts a day? I don't know what the volume is because I kind of close my circle off. I got like a certain amount of friends I've had for a long time, and that's kind of who I communicate with on the – on the daily, but I'm in a lot of group chats. I got group chats with friends from home. I got group chats with teammates. I got group chats with ex-teammates. I got group chats with ex-coaches. So the line is pretty long. I also have separate group chats with certain players from our team. There's just like a lot kind of going on. Um, I got group chats on Instagram. I got group chats on Twitter. There's just a lot of communication that happens based on my inner circle and people that I'm kind of friends with and talk to. But okay. in terms of the traffic during the season, it's it's pretty constant um, in terms of who I talk to, my mom, my dad, my brother, my fiance. Um, and that's basically it, friends here or there. Obviously I'm gonna be heading home. Um, to Canton. There's a funeral on Friday. My aunt passed away. So I'll be going to a funeral on Friday. Um, We play the Cavaliers on on Saturday. So I'm getting more texts about, you know, the loss of my aunt and and more texts about like the Cavs game. But outside of that, um, it's pretty constant. I've I've had the same number since fifth or sixth grade. And um, basically, if I want to be contacted, you can contact me. And sometimes I respond, sometimes I don't. Just depends on what I got going on and, and how often we communicate. But for the most part, I don't really get random Text or random calls. When I do, I just don't answer because my circle is the way I like it. <laughs>
1: see, see, that's the key. You've established, you know, some type of ground rules, and I don't feel like I'm at that point where I can just, you know, say no or not respond because I guess I just I feel badly if I don't respond to something if it's a, if it's a wacky business proposal or. Um, Something along that that lines, uh, along those lines, I'll usually say, you know, I appreciate it enough for me. But what what the issue has become is this the the relentlessness of I think texts. I think that's my biggest problem. Um, you said something that, and you you said this before too. Like if someone texts you and you don't want to respond or you don't want to deal with them, you'll you just you just won't say anything back, and you know it's not like you're going to block them. But for me. I think the problem is, I haven't. I don't have the ability yet to just to just say no. I don't.
0: I don't just say no yet. It, it's a real problem. It'll save your life, bro. Sometimes I turn my red receipts on just to ignore somebody. That sends like a clear message. <laughs> I do not. Oh, red talk. like it'll say I haven't read or I have read. Like I'll turn it on to say that I read it and not respond (laughs) so that you get the message.
1: I I think that's a great idea. (laughs) It's
0: a great idea. Doesn't get more blunt than that. I think, honestly, communication and phones, a lot of times it's a distraction. Like, our world is busy enough as it is. There's a lot going on. You have your day-to-day life. You have your family life. You have your professional life. That's a lot right there to try to balance. And then you want to become better. And all aspects of life, especially your professional life, especially your, your personal life, and, and spending time with family. So having that phone, which gives you access to everything, can become a problem and a distraction. So, I mean, my phone goes into night mode, 8 p.m. It doesn't ring. Only rings only for favorites. So if anybody calls me after 8 p.m., like, it's not even going to ring. Um, it's in do not disturb mode. So I can just kind of have my my downtime to kind of recover and escape because otherwise you're just in this constant flow of, overwhelming amounts of information people wanting to talk to you and sometimes it can become distracting and and kind of take away from your overall health and and well-being as a person okay so a big week for the Blazers CJ
1: specifically Mr. Carmelo Anthony officially in Portland a non-guaranteed deal CJ I wonder did you have a conversation with Carmelo at all before the game um, when you found out that he was signing
0: with Portland about here's how we can work together on the floor? <laughs> how ironic. I got my guy his first bucket in a year. Um, it was cool, man. Honestly, the vibes were great. Um, he's a good teammate. He wants to learn. Um, he's willing to help us um, continue to learn and share some of the knowledge that he's gained over the, the course of his not only NBA career, but basketball career in general. But it was just cool to to have him out there and to, uh, play alongside him, having watched him, you know, Basically, all my life, you know, based on his career, his trajectory, Syracuse on, um, Denver Nuggets, all of that stuff, it was cool to to be able to play with him and share the court. But I think the biggest thing for us is just kind of getting him acclimated to our system, how we play offensively, play calling, spacing. every team is different and obviously he's been out the league for over a year so he's been watching basketball but getting his body back acclimated to the travel to the hotel his routine like all that stuff uh, is getting back into place you think about like imagine not working your job for a year you're still training and doing things you know at home but it's not the same as going to the actual office kind of figuring out uh, your locker Where you sit on the bus, where you sit on the plane, what time we do things, what time do you shoot? Do you shoot? Because this is a guy who's played 15 years in the NBA and I found out yesterday that he doesn't even shoot before games. He shoots in the morning and then he does a lot of body work and lifting and stuff like that to get his body ready for the game. So kind of figuring out how he wants to strategically plan his schedule. Like that's a lot of stuff that people don't even think about in the back end, not to mention, um, we haven't even had a practice yet and he played in his first game. So trying to figure out play calling and spacing was another factor that we. We had to kind of uh, fight in the in the first game.
1: CJ, I like to sign him because it, it's very low risk, and obviously not having Nurk, not having Zach, you know, you, you certainly need someone to come in and and as Neil O'Shea said, can be a threat. I didn't realize that his relationship with Carmelo went all the way back to high school at the old ABCD camp. So there's obviously a history there. I know that. You had been quite positive on Carmelo throughout the summer, and what you just said makes sense—him being in good shape. Um, but I think the biggest threat that he'll create is is three point shooting. When he was really good with the Knicks, Carmelo shot forty percent basically throughout his tenure there, um, especially twenty twelve twenty thirteen. He was in the he hovered around the mid forties in spot up threes, and then in Houston, where he never really had a defined role, he was only thirty one percent. And spot up three. So, what did you feel like worked in, in, in a very limited sample size that made you think Carmelo will be a will be a really good option, especially from the
0: perimeter? Yeah, I think obviously it's his first game, so figuring out spacing and figuring out you know where his opportunities would come from. Um, will take some time, but based on what I seen initially, a lot of drag stuff, you know, being able to get drag side pick and rolls, being able to find him for duck-ins and transition, being able to kind of get switches and, and create situations to where he has a smaller uh, defender on him, and can take advantage of them, whether that be on the block or, you know, in that logo post-up area where he's historically uh, made his living, you know, with, with mid-range jab jumpers and, and things like that, but it's, it's going to take some time for us to continue to kind of figure it out once we put more plays in and get a better idea of, you know, where he's going to get most of his contributions from. I think that'll help. But just historically, based on how Melo has played, I think he'll fit in fine. Obviously, the catch and shoot is there. He went two for three um, from three in his first game in over, uh, over a year. So the, the touch and stuff like that will continue to come back. He'll be able to draw fouls and, and do a little bit more, uh, especially depending on when he has favorable matchups. Once he gets more comfortable and continues to find his rhythm.
1: Did it come down to like, let's have a conversation about where we see you fitting in or, you know, like, I guess what was the process for you when it came
0: to uh, actually getting on the floor together? No, I mean, we just kind of talk. We've played together in the summertime, so he knows how I play. I know how he plays. And um, just more so figuring out drags, figuring out spacing, you know, where he likes the ball at. Um, those are things that we'll kind of continue to have that dialogue uh, about. And I told him, I said, if there's anything you see out there, um, whether it's for you or for the rest of the team or for me, you just let me know. And he's like, vice versa. Anything you see, you want me to do or anything you feel can be more beneficial for us as a team, not just for me individually, but for us as a team, just let me know. So we're just having that dialogue mm-hmm. That you have with, with, with teammates early on and you know continuing to go back and forth and figure out you know how to be as successful as possible as a team while kind of integrating a new talent you know what's really cool is like
1: I, I think Carmelo is the definition of a hooper I've said this about you as well guys that just love to play um, I don't I don't think Carmelo like missed the lifestyle and missed all the travel I think he just missed playing and and, and being around the guys um I had a really interesting opportunity, CJ, last spring to watch him work out for about an hour and a half and then spend another hour and a half with him uh, along with Brick and a couple other people just talking about basketball and not even about the NBA, but more so about his high school experience, AAU basketball, and what it meant to him and what it means to him to be a basketball player, just like the essence of it. And I I, I just remember walking away feeling like this guy – just wants to play. Like, he really wants to play. And now he gets an opportunity with you guys, uh, six straight very successful seasons. I know that you have not gotten off to the start you wanted to as a team, but I I just think it's a really good fit, and I I really hope it works out for him because given the career he's had, a Hall of Fame career, I I think – he deserves to go out on a good note.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think it's definitely about playing basketball, being able to go out on his own terms, understanding that he still has a lot to offer to a locker room, not just on the court, but um, off the court as well with his knowledge and understanding of life outside of basketball. I think there's a lot of uh, ways he'll benefit not only us playing, but our roster, especially our young guys. Um, Nas was three years old when Melo made his debut, so that kind of gives you an understanding of um, his experience and and how the league has continued to turn over and change. But um, I think you hit the nail right on the head. And it's the first time I said this in a in a couple weeks. Um, he doesn't need the money. He doesn't need the fame. I think he missed the actual playing side of basketball, the actual side of getting ready for a game, getting his body uh, mentally and physically ready uh, to go through a season and um, being in the locker room, the camaraderie that comes with playing in the NBA, I think those are the things that that he really missed. And um, we're thankful to have him as a part of our roster and as a part of our team going forward and want to continue to try to build something special and, and turn around uh, this slow start that we're having. Does it, does it change at all with Dame coming back into the
1: fold and obviously, um, you know, Having the ball in his hands as much as he does, like does it does it change the looks at all from the from the drag standpoint, or do you anticipate that with Dame back on the floor, it'll pretty much be the same type of uh,
0: opportunities from uh, an offensive standpoint? I think it'll definitely make us better. Um, obviously, with the type of talent and, and player Dame is, but just from a spacing standpoint, mm-hmm. Dame. It's another magnet on the court. He attracts attention. He attracts the eyes, you know, hedges on ball screens, longer hedges. Sometimes there's traps. Sometimes there's defenses kind of scheme to take the ball out of his hands, which means a lot of times there's two people on him. So that means you're playing four on three on the backside. And a lot of times the guy guarding me is in his stay home. So he's not leaving me. So that means Quite you 3 know, you're in a position now to where, yep, you're playing three on two, three on three on the backside, depending on how fast a big man can get back to his man. So I think it'll, it'll just create more opportunities um, for everybody, not just Melo, but more opportunities for Rodney Hood, more opportunities for Whiteside on rolls, and just another player out there who's smart enough to understand spacing, smart enough to understand when to make the skip pass versus when to make the advance pass. All those little things in terms of understanding the game make a huge difference.
1: Yeah, l- just last thing, going back to what you're saying about uh, the quality of looks and the type of looks, I think we'll see – like to me, he'll, this is the most threes he'll take. He, he was he's, Carmelo was trending more and more toward three pointers uh, with Houston, even in that kind of undefined role. I think he, half his shots there were from three. I would anticipate you know sixty percent of them with you will be from distance, and uh, I I love him in the role of uh, of trail threes too. You know something that is that's the way the game has trended, and he certainly has that skill set. You know, I I look at like Team USA Mellow and think if we can channel some of that, if you're a Portland fan, that would be sensational. You know, playing off of other great playmakers uh, such as you and Dame that can find him and uh, allow him to have open looks in the corner uh, and and just great opportunities throughout the course of a a shot clock. So that to me is the best case scenario. And uh, again, I'm I'm excited about it. I also love the double zero, by the way, I think. I think double zero is a nice touch. Uh, what, what was your what was your take on that?
0: I thought double zero was cool. Obviously, he couldn't get seven. B. Roy twelve was L. A. Mm-hmm. Twenty two. A lot of those numbers were were taken. Um, so the the explanation for why he wanted double zero, I think it just gives him like a fresh start, yeah. a new look, and um, another way to to add a, a chapter to to Mellow's story. Um, I think it's cool. I think that his his jersey is going to get a lot of sales. It is. A lot of people are going to be interested in purchasing that double zero.
2: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role.
1: So, back-to-backs have been a real problem in this league, and I hate them because, while well, I sympathize for the players, and then selfishly as a fan, it's never the same product. I compare it to Thursday night football. The second the second half of a back-to-back, especially for the road team, is is like a Thursday night game. It's not as clean. It's not as sharp. The, the energy's not as high. It's just, it's not as good of a product, and so... You guys have already played four of your 12 back-to-backs in the first month. It's it's just brutal. There is back-to-back trauma. That would be the word I would use.
0: Trauma. <laughs> no, you definitely feel it early and late in the season. Um, your body still tries to adjust, especially when you're changing time zones or traveling. I, the human body is not meant to travel the way that we do, and it's especially not meant to To go through that type of trauma of 30 plus minutes back to back in consecutive nights with with lack of sleep, automatic dehydration because of the travel and the amount of sweat that you're losing on that court. So it's definitely an adjustment, but it's a part of our game. So you have to get your body mentally and physically ready uh, for that. Um, understanding that you may be a little bit more fatigued. We just played another back-to-back uh, and dropped one to the New Orleans Pelicans. And, you know, you feel good at first and then you start to feel like you're dragging and then you feel like you're coming up short. You feel like you're a step slow and you can just kind of see the look on the other team's face and how fresh they look compared to you in terms of movement, in terms of flow of their offense, in terms of how fast the running and fast breaks. And it's funny because it always comes back in cycles to where you'll, you'll go play somebody back-to-back and then you might have to face them uh, when they're on the second night of a back-to-back, which is what we did with the San Antonio Spurs. First time we played them, it was a back-to-back the second time. They were on a back-to-back the second night, of, and they had traveled. They were in Orlando the night before, so it, it comes back full circle, but it is a lot on the body, and it's funny that we've played a quarter of our back-to-backs in the first month of a six-month season, oh. um, but it just means that we'll get, I don't know, most of them out the way, and then in March, we have two back-to-backs on one road trip, but we'll play the, the Sixers and Nets along with the Charlotte Hornets and Detroit Pistons all in one road trip, which will be pretty brutal uh, to have... You know that would be what four games in four days, and that's like a six-game road trip. So um, that'll be another brutal um, trip coming up in March.
1: You know what the other thing is too? We is is I guess I could call it an issue is sleep. I mean, I know it's very valuable for you, and there's I've read. I feel like I've read every study there is about you know the benefits of eight hours and how six hours. Repeatedly getting six hours is essentially the same as um, no sleep. If you go on that, I mean, think about the difference between six and eight. It doesn't seem like much, but it is. So, what what's your schedule? You said you put it in night mode at eight, but what do you do for like screen time before bed? Do you have because it's not great, it's not good to have screen time before bed. So, do you have an hour or something that you'll give yourself?
0: before you turn the screen off and then actually try to go to sleep? Yeah. So my phone goes into night mode, so it shifts into night mode. So, like, the brightness in the screen goes down and everything. Like, it, it basically goes into, like, get ready for sleep mode. Even if I'm on my phone, like, the, the brightness is down. Like, everything kind of shifts. Um I do like, historically the same thing. I usually I, I talk to my, my fiancé before I go to sleep or I'm FaceTiming or whatever, and then if I'm home, I usually take a bath or I'm doing something like that, and then I go to the couch and watch Netflix, Norma Tech, whatever, kind of recover. And then once I go to bed, the last time I touch my phone is to set my alarm and to to read one of my Bible apps. And then I go to sleep right after that. So that's kind of like, I put my phone down. There's no charger like close to the bed. So like, I literally have to kind of get up to put my charger in. So then at that point, like I'm not getting back out of the bed to check my phone, like it's over. (laughs) It's over for me uh, at that point. And I don't normally watch TV in the bedroom unless I'm on the road traveling in a hotel. So that's kind of how like my body kind of prepares for sleep. It knows like once you get into bed, especially at home that like you're going to sleep. 'cause I don't even turn turn the TV on.
1: Obviously travel changes things, but if you're home, what would be the ideal uh time to fall asleep? You try to you try to be asleep or in bed by what, eleven?
0: Yeah, it's it's a nightmare in season though, because you got back to backs, you got late games, you got travel. So it it, it fluctuates. But I normally I normally get to bed, like I'm in bed, like in that 10 to 11 range, okay. just depends on what time I have to get up, but I'm normally getting nine hours of sleep. And I try, I shoot for nine, some days I get 10 or 11 and some days I get seven with the back to backs mm-hmm. and stuff, but I got you. nine is like my sweet spot. I think I got nine and a half um, last night and then the uh, two games ago, where was I at? When I was in Houston, I went to bed, I went to sleep at 11 and I woke up at uh, 8.30. So I usually get, you know, a good amount of Sleep and that's really huge for me in terms of recovery and, yeah. and allow my body to kind of re-energize. Yeah,
1: it's it's no longer cool to just say, Oh, I don't sleep, I don't need it. Like that's just not I'll sleep when I'm dead. These have all been debunked. So don't don't
0: don't rely on five, six hours of sleep. S- sleep is necessary, but the, I think the key for people, like everybody's schedules are different, your lives are different. The earlier you can go to bed, the better, because then you can really kind of maximize your day. And some people have to start their days earlier than others. And being able to wake up earlier allows you to kind of accomplish more. But the the key for me, you know, as I've gotten older, especially with five or six a.m. workouts, is being able to get into bed at eight p.m. or nine p.m. If you can. Uh, obviously, that's that's not ideal for certain people, depending on their situations and and working and stipulations like that or kids. But the earlier you can get to bed. I found the more productive I am uh, the next day.
1: I would totally agree with that. I just I don't think I have the discipline to do it sometimes. Like I know Jimmy Butler will often go to sleep. He says six thirty seven. You say eight. Like I, I just don't have the discipline to do it. And uh, and I don't travel anywhere near as much as you do. There's a great story on ESPN.com by Baxter Holmes, and I know you were interviewed for this talking about sleep. And there's a great quote, and it basically is. There's 10,000 studies, scientific studies, and the number of people who can survive on six hours of sleep or less without showing any impairment is zero. So if you're, if, if you're sleeping six hours or less, which is usually the case on a back-to-back, especially when you're traveling as you guys are more than any team in the league – uh, you, you're already at a significant disadvantage. I, I liked what Kent Bazemore said. He, he basically said he wants seven hours a night, no electronics, blackout curtains. Uh, Vince Carter's talked about it being the number one thing. This is a great article. It's a great read about back-to-backs, and and the league has taken notice. You know, it's it's the fewest amount that we've had in, in really ever, and it's still to me not enough. CJ, are you happy that you've gotten a third of your back-to-backs out of the way at this point so early in the season, or do you wish they were more spread out?
0: I don't know how I feel right now because it's so fresh, and I just came off a back-to-back, so I'm kind of tired and sleepy, but um, you have to play them at some point, so I guess in any event, it's probably better to to get them out the way, um, so then you're not playing back-to-backs later in the season, but there's no real remedy that's going to be perfect because you got to get 12 in and they're going to try to spread them out as as they see fit. So I'm, I guess I'm indifferent about it, but right now I'm just tired because we Man. just got through one. So I'm thinking like it's the worst thing in the world, but in reality, everybody goes through it. So
1: it's a, it's a part of the game. I was talking to someone, just a, another sports fan, not even necessarily an NBA fan, but we were going through back-to-backs and, and baseball and you know, NHL and and NBA and and the difference between each one. And um, I I just tried to say, well, if you really want to know how bad back-to-backs are in the NBA, just think about traveling as you would with any job to, let's say you're going from Portland to LA and you have a Monday night meeting. It's three hours. It's important. You have to prep. And then you got to fly right after that to San Francisco, and you have a Tuesday night meeting, and again, it's the same type of high stress situation, and then after that, you're going to fly at 2 in the morning to the East Coast, and you're going to have a, a, a long work day, and then the next day, you have another meeting. I mean, it's just relentless, and because of the physical exertion that you have to put in uh, at, at the NBA level, I, I just, I can't imagine uh, how significant it is. I, I guess... This leads, you, leads me to my question of the league is 36% down from the average of 19.35 years ago. Have you noticed a difference at all, basically going from 19 to 12 or 13 a year?
0: Yeah, I've definitely noticed a difference. I think the quality of basketball is, is better when teams don't have to play back-to-backs. You're just naturally sluggish. And I like the analogy you use with meetings, but the thing people don't realize is that um, we still have meetings before the game. So you don't just sleep until 7 p.m. Like you have to watch film. You're probably getting treatment because if you play in the NBA, there's something that's probably bothering you at some point, whether that's your hips, your ankles, your IT bands. You have to do some type of soft tissue work. So that's another dynamic to it. And then imagine your meeting starts at 7, but you can't just show up at 7 for your meeting. You have to get there early. You probably have a lift. You probably have to do some other stuff to where it, it's, it's a full day of, activities and working like you said before it's strenuous on the body and you have to try to mentally be sharp still knowing other teams play still knowing your place spacing so there's just real no real way around it you're going to be mentally and physically tired it's just about pushing through it and hoping for the best uh, but there's definitely advantages to not having a back-to-back and i think they've done the nba it's not only players but the fans a a service by reducing it and trying to figure out ways to to put the best product on the court because you are at risk for, for greater chance of injury when you have less sleep, when you're dehydrated, when your body's worn down, and mentally you're just not as locked in as you should be. Stay tuned because after the break we're going to talk about Luka Doncic and why he's very good at basketball. And we're also going to touch on LeBron James' most surprising career stat ever. We'll tell you about it more after the break.
2: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
3: Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash rs10 today.
1: So someone that's been playing not super long in the NBA, but has already established himself as the most decorated player to come into the NBA, uh, is Luka Doncic? He, he's been a pro since a teenager. He's he won every award possible in Europe, including um, EuroLeague MVP. So I, I, I'm I'm pretty much astounded by what he's doing at 20. And and I loved him coming into the draft. I loved him this season as an MVP. As I loved him this season as an MVP sleeper. But I, I just it's hard to understand just how good he is. Um, y- you guys just saw him. You played against him. Have you already seen a difference from year 1 to year 2? Obviously he lost 15 20 pounds, he's in better shape,
0: but what was the what was the thing that stood out the most to you? I think just his comfortability level. Um, he's always had good pace. He's always finished well around the basket, but now he just seems more comfortable. He's probably adjusted to the travel. You know, having been a professional athlete in Europe is different than being a professional athlete in the NBA. You have more practices in Europe, but you also have less games. So maybe you're playing two games a week. You know, Him being in Spain, he was playing in the Euro League and he was playing in the Spanish ACB League. So that's two games a week. Now uh, we got back-to-backs. You got three and four. You got four and six. You got... East Coast to West Coast, Um, there's just a lot more that goes into the NBA. And I think his body is finally adjusted to it. Like you said before, he's lost 15 pounds so he's tapered his diet. And he got a taste of the spacing in the NBA. In Europe, it's more congested. Everyone can shoot it's clogged. In the NBA, everyone can't shoot, and there's more spacing, more flexibility, more freedom, and better athletes. So he's got a lob threat. Obviously, he's playing with Porzingis now. He's got Hardaway Jr. And he's kind of figuring out how to manipulate the game, uh, whether that's getting assists, rebounds, when winning shoot to step back three versus when to pump fake. And um, with his size and ability to finish around the basket, he's a he's a real problem. And in his second year, to be averaging 30, 10, and, and 9, that's, that's impressive for anybody, especially someone who's only in their second year of playing in the NBA.
1: Yeah, he's become a triple-double threat pretty much every time out there. He's been very efficient from two and three. He continues to make that patented step-back three. Uh, I've said for the last, well, pretty much since last season, that there's four or five guys that you can consistently rely on to make really tough step-backs, both you and him, Harden, Dame, you know... Kyrie, there's there's just only a certain amount of people that can do it, and he's doing it this year again, and yet I think he's more comfortable around the rim as a finisher. There was a terrific piece, not to keep blowing steam up from ESPN, but there's another piece on ESPN that I read this morning about basically the... The maturity standpoint of Doncic, but also the kind of tug and pull between him and Rick Carlisle and an old school coach in Rick Carlisle who's had to learn to pull back the reins a little bit and a new school player in Doncic who is so eager to make that flashy play sometimes that he will make uh, a terrible turnover and he'll throw the ball three, three rows out of bounds or he'll do something that you just say, how did he just do that? Because he's been so good the last 10 minutes, but... I think it's only going to get better. The biggest thing for me is what happens now with Porzingis because if you watch Dallas, they, it's almost like they're they're force feeding him in the posts and trying to find it. It's just not there. The best offense for Dallas is when they play two man and Porzingis becomes a spot up three point shooter. But I still think he's trying to find his sea legs, and I'm not sure
0: he's totally comfortable yet with Luca. Yeah, I think like you said. Before the difference in coaching styles. Rick Carlisle's old school. Luka Doncic's new school. He's flashy. throws no-look passes. Uh, Alley-oops, Euro steps. He's swaggy. Um, He's a showman. And I think that that took some time for Rick to kind of adjust to him. And I think they've adjusted well. And in terms of their offense and flow, Porzingis is coming off a a season-long injury, So his rhythm, his balance, his base, as the season progresses, his legs are going to wear on him. So they have to be smart with his minutes. They have to be smart with how they utilize him and kind of figuring out, when to post him up versus when to run him off screens. And the most successful offensive strategy right now for them is to have the ball in Lucas' hands and allow him to dictate the flow, dictate when he wants a pick and roll, when he wants a pop, when he wants them to roll. And I think they look good. Obviously, they're playing well, they're in position to make the playoffs, but it's early five months left uh, to go. But they're going to be just fine as Porzingis finds his rhythm. It takes a long time to kind of recover from those types of injuries, mentally and physically, to really trust the movement of it and to find how you can kind of contribute to the offense because Luca's doing so well offensively with the ball in his hands. You have to allow him to continue to make the decisions and allow him to kind of figure out when it's other, it's other people's time to eat. A great player needs
1: a lease. Those are the words of former Mavs director of player development Mike Procopio, and I love that line because I think there is a fine balance of letting a guy make mistakes and learn from those mistakes and also reining him in despite the great talent. And I think with Luka Doncic, you have someone that has immense talent and ability, but is still learning how to rein in some of his uh, showmanship, some of his panache, if you will. So what can you do with him to make him uncomfortable, CJ? Is there a certain way to play Luca at this point? Uh, I think you just have
0: to pressure him. Try to speed him up. He's got great pace. He's got great size. He's going to turn his back and you know be able to see right over the defense. But just mixing up the the reads for him, you know, whether that's trapping them sometimes, hard hedging them sometimes, playing them straight up, mixing up the size of the guys guarding them, whether that's a wing or a point guard or a small forward, just trying to give them different looks. But the, the great ones aren't aren't easily sped up. They're able to still kind of get to their spots, and you just live uh, with the makes and the misses. And I think he's getting to that point to where he's figuring out how to get to his spots, how to get to the free throw line, and how to still keep everyone involved. So I think that's been the... Um, what people have enjoyed seeing, and he's rebounding. So once when you can rebound the ball, you can initiate the break right away. There's there's no outlet, and that makes things very difficult because the ball's in his hands faster and for for longer periods of time uh, within the possessions of the 24 second shot clock.
1: Yeah, the rigger had a really good story about his rebounding and the impact it has on their transition attack because he's just he's he's just going, and it's really it's cool to see the rebounding as well. It's it's not necessarily the the sexiest stat and you don't see there's traditionally you know really good guard rebounders have an incredible effect on the game jason kidd was a great guard rebounder westbrook has always been one gary payton guys that could get six seven rebounds a game eight rebounds and be able to just go and transition and then make plays have you noticed cj now and and year what is this year seven now is that right yeah you're seven is is there anything that surprises you from what teams try to do to you defensively? I mean, because like when I talk to scouts, coaches, executives about game planning for Portland, uh, there's really obviously there's two guys they talk about, it, you and Dame. But what's interesting is that, that being said, there's never really a consensus of here's how we're going to play them. Because both of you guys were so good breaking people down off the dribble.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've seen it all at this point, you know, based on our playoff experience in regular season. Uh, the Toronto Raptors ran box of one and triangle two for a lot of the game. We've seen face guard and we've seen denials. I just got trapped on just about every pick and roll last game against New Orleans. So it's it changes frequently in terms of pick and rolls face guarding versus denial versus hard hedge and you just get used to it and you just figure out ways to contribute you figure out ways to be aggressive and as efficient as as you possibly can but like you said before uh, when you're in the NBA for a certain amount of time you kind of figure out how to have success and someone who's figured out how, how to have success at the highest level is LeBron James that was a yeah I, I was of waiting a transition for right there I was waiting for you're it. talking about a guy who's the First player in NBA history with a triple-double against 30 different teams. Uh, so, shout out to LeBron. And he also has the most turnovers of all time by one player, <laughs> which is crazy to think about. Karl Malone was number one. That just means LeBron's been in the NBA for an extremely long time. He's had a lot of assists. He's had the ball in his hands for a majority of his career, uh, which is stem 17, posi- <laughs> 17 years and is in position the average a triple double this year which is quite impressive
1: I don't remember a player that has had that has been this good and been this polarizing you know and I think it speaks to how great he's well really how great he is and how great of a career he's had um but five it's the total is 5075 turnovers that, that I mean 17 years he's been in the NBA that's that's half his life can you imagine the tread on those tires when you think about all the playoffs, all the commitment to... Half
0: his life he's been in the NBA. That's crazy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> all the commitment to Team USA, the playoffs, all the finals runs. I mean, and yet he... Go back. This is our full circle of sleep. Talk about someone that's spent a lot of money in investing in themselves. LeBron is the is at the epicenter of maintaining physical and mental health, you know, whether it's cryo, sleep, uh, nutrition, you know, diet, stretching, every single possible advantage he can possibly get. And that's why he's been able to break the all-time turnover record. I'm more surprised, though, that Carl Malone was second. Because it's not like Carl Malone was breaking people down off the bounce. I mean... That's very strange to me. He
0: wasn't, but he played for an extremely long time. He had a lot of pick and rolls, which means he's in a position to make decisions when they trap. So they trap John Stockton's pick and roll, throw it to Carl, and now he's either throwing a lob, he's finishing, or he's swinging to the weak side. So he probably got some charges in there and then the other ones are just getting doubled in the post, probably trying to trying to make passes out the post, getting double teamed. And I know, but... That's all I can think of, but yeah, it it's very surprising. By the way, Carl Malone is 56.
1: Carl Malone's 56. I remember 96 Western Conference Finals. Sonics, Jazz, Carl Malone. Hard to believe he's 56. Uh, For his career, CJ, by the way, just to give you, now that we're talking about greatness, and I don't think Carl Malone even now gets the credit he deserves. Like We talk about the greatest power forwards ever. Tim Duncan is, is my guy. Karl Malone, you can make a case, is the greatest ever and certainly one of the best forwards of all time. But for his career, 25 points a game for career, over 10 rebounds a game, almost four assists. <laughs> I mean, a guy who's unbelievable. And he he was probably in the best shape of any player in that era, along along Michael Jordan, al- sorry, alongside Michael Jordan and maybe
0: a few others. That's that's quite impressive, and I, I think you're right. He doesn't get the credit he deserves, but the real fans respect and understand the impact he's had on the game, and uh, I think that means a lot to him because he is a Hall of Famer, one of the the greatest players of all time, and um, he did it his way: dunking, making passes out the post, going to work one on one on the elbow. And another guy who's done things his way in the NBA so far in his three-year career is Ben Simmons. (laughs) He's assisted guys. He's thrown lobs. Wow.
1: You are transitioning at a
2: high level.
0: Transitioning at a high level. He's succeeded in transition, but he was yet to make a three-pointer in the first three years of his career until today. Ben Simmons has officially made a three-point basket in a meaningful NBA game. And as Stephen A. Smith pointed out, it was against the New York Knicks, of course. Of course. Um, I,
1: I think I was along I, – I believe I was among the people that said Ben Simmons would not make a three this season. So props to him. Um, I don't know if he'll make another one the rest of his career. It's kind of like Shaq. <laughs> uh, CJ, uh, he, he's actually improved his jumper. It's gotten better. I will give him that Th- this season. It, it looks a little better. His, the the numbers bear it out, but uh, I don't think we can expect Ben Simmons to become
0: Ray Allen. No, he won't become Ray Allen, but a reliable shot or one that people have to respect will open up the court for not only himself but his other teammates, which is would be beneficial to continue to test the waters on threes, especially corner threes to start yeah. because they're basically mid-range jumpers. They're they're close and and easy to kind of kind of execute and. Yeah. I think it's just funny that people are making a big deal about it because it's obvious that he can't make threes. It's just more about him taking them.
1: The last time he made a three in a competitive game was over four years ago <laughs> against the College of Charleston. <laughs> and that was a college three. So it was basically a mid range pull up. Yeah. Basically a, a mid range jumper. Yeah. What's your take on Miles Garrett right now? And um, should he be suspended? I'm... Well, I guess what's the suspension that makes the most sense? And, uh, Also, do you have any sympathy for
0: him after watching the video? I'm sure a hundred times. I do have sympathy for him because I believe he's a good person at heart. I've heard stories about him. I've seen how he interacts with people, not just people, but kids and what he's done for the community. I know he writes poetry, but I also know that he's a vicious defensive end who enjoys hitting the quarterback. So with that being said, did he lose his cool? Absolutely. Did he take it too far and cross the line? Absolutely. But was he provoked? Yes, he was provoked. Um, And I think that's what people fail to realize. Um, When you're between those lines, it gets heated, it gets confrontational, you get angry. And sometimes you do things that you probably shouldn't do. And in this instance, Mason Rudolph tried to pull his helmet off, which kind of sparked it. He also kicked him in the midsection, which was not the right thing to do to a six foot four, 270 pound monster. And the monster came out and I'm I'm always lived by this. Be careful what you do to others because you never know what someone is thinking or their mindset is at. And um, if you get into the cage of a lion, you you better be prepared to be eaten. And he did that. I think you provoked the wrong monster. Bad things can happen. Obviously, I don't wish bad On anyone, and I'm I'm very upset that Miles Garrett did this not only for himself but for my Cleveland Browns because this puts us in a position where we were missing our best defensive player and we need him to make this playoff push. So I hope that his suspension is reduced because similar things have happened like this in the past where a player wasn't suspended for as many games. Obviously, it was a nationally televised game, it was the quarterback who they love to protect, which is rightfully so. So it's a slippery slope here, a slippery situation to be involved in. I like how Mason Rudolph was fined. I never like to see anyone lose money, but he did provoke it and started and should be punished for that. Should he miss games? I don't think so. Should Miles Garrett miss games? Probably. How many? It's to be determined, but I think he's definitely learned his lesson because obviously um, you don't want to hit people over the head with your with your helmet or their helmet while their helmet's off because bad things could occur.
1: Absolutely. I think uh, Mason Rudolph certainly is not uh, – I mean, he, he, he is at fault as well. You, the, the problem with, with the Garrett thing is – well, really, it's twofold. One, it's a quarterback, as you said. And two, we never see players, like, hit somebody with a helmet. It's just not something we're used to seeing. And I went back to kind of prepare for, you know, talking about him. I, I started to go back and watch 1980s football and uh, specifically with the, with the Chicago Bears guys like the 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 refrigerator Perry who was almost 400 pounds and like to see what was the worst stuff they did and it was more so the the violence of the sport was still such an integral part of it that it wasn't necessary to to do things like what Miles Garrett did you, you know you you didn't get penalized for hitting the quarterback nearly even in the same vicinity as you do now because now if you hit somebody well basically if you hit a quarterback late you're done if you hit a quarterback you drive him to ground you're done and if you get hit a guy too hard you're you're often fined or penalized so I think it's kind of a byproduct of the times when defensive players are just not allowed to do the same things they were not only 30 years ago but even 10 years ago so um like I don't I guess I sympathize for Miles Garrett. I don't want to say I don't blame him, but I'm sure Mason Rudolph uh, said something to him, and then he the fact that his, his, he tried to take off his helmet just didn't help. So Cle- Cleveland needs him. They have to have Miles Garrett if they want to make the playoffs. He,
0: he's that significant to them. Very significant. Do I think we still can make it? Absolutely. I think we're going to go 9-7. and seven. I think oh, we're going to beat. Oh, come on. Um, we play Miami this week. I think we beat Miami this week. I think we beat Pittsburgh. I think our next loss comes to the Ravens. Okay, so right now you're four and six. So you got six games
1: left, meaning you got to go five and one to hit that. And really, honestly, realistically, to to go to the playoffs, you got to go five and one. So Miami home win at Pittsburgh. I'm sorry. uh, Yeah, at Pittsburgh. Okay, win home Cincinnati. Win at Arizona. Win. I'll give you that. That's going to be tough, but I think we can beat them. They've been better. Uh, Home Ravens at Bengals. You know what? Five and ones, you could do it, but we got three tough.
0: We got three really tough games, and then the Bengals game is a trap game. So the Ravens, Steelers, Arizona are all going to be tough games. They're all going to be tough, but those three will be harder than the others. And then that Bengals game is a trap game because the Bengals could potentially be facing the defeated season, and they will be looking forward to trying to get a win. Well, if, and if you think about it realistically,
1: they'll probably be Cleveland will be favored and in. wow well, yeah, I mean, four and two is possible, is very possible, but I'm just thinking of a projected winning percentage and what they'll be favored and they'll be favored home Miami, at Steelers they'll be a dog, they'll be favored home Cincinnati, slight favorite at at Arizona, home dog to to Baltimore and and favorite at at Cincinnati, so. I mean, four and two, five and one, five and one is the, is is the bare minimum. You got to go five and one
0: because you're not you don't well, get five and one gets us in as a wild card over Pittsburgh for sure, but because Pittsburgh has five wins already, right? Yeah, Pittsburgh has five wins and they've been trending upward. They've been they've been a
1: lot better. Although I'm not a big fan of of uh, Mason Rudolph the way he's played lately. I I was high on him and he's been pretty bad. They're a big. By the way, you just want to talk about a strange line. They're a massive home a road favorite at, at Cincinnati. The, this is a weird time for the NFL. Th- this is that time in the season week 11 through let's say week 14 where it, it, the season is really hanging in the balance and teams will go all in or they'll start to go all out and aim for the draft and uh, it's it's a very odd time. So Cleveland, Cleveland, CJ 5-1, and one, I will I'll give you that. I think it's possible. I don't think it's likely.
0: Anything is possible. <laughs> We appreciate all our listeners tuning in faithfully to the pull-up pod. Uh, Cleveland Browns, we'll make the playoffs this year. Um, <laughs> outside of that, Rip City fans, stay faithful. I know we're going through tough times right now. Injuries, losses, among other things. We will pull it together and get through this thing. If I, don't, if I recall correctly, the Houston Rockets went through a similar thing. Uh, they were 4-9 at one point yeah. after making it Last to the conference year. finals. And they figured it out. We will figure it out, too. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, reader.com backslash pull up with CJ, or wherever you get your shows. And don't forget to pull up. Pull up.